Hi, Talia Lazarus here, and welcome back to I Got Back Up. Today I'm joined by Vanessa Rugg, the girl on a bike. In 2014, Vanessa was struck by a red light jumping car. Enduring seven surgeries and two reconstructed body parts, Vanessa learned that her mental health recovery was harder than the physical recovery. When is Vanessa coming back? People would ask her. But in between surgeries, Vanessa discovered her passion for motorcycles. Cruising to trials, to adventure, hard endurance and competitions, Vanessa began to embrace the thrill of the open road and the freedom to disappear into the unknown. Reinventing herself, join me through the life of Vanessa Ruck. How are you today, Vanessa? I am really good and super excited to be here talking with you. Oh, amazing. Thank you. You've had a you've had a pretty cool, exciting trip kind of recently and in the pipeline, don't you? Yeah, it's been quite a busy year as far as uh, racing, adventures, etc., both on two wheels on motorcycles and also in the rally car. Uh, so, yeah, it's been pretty flat out, which is amazing. I'm enjoying a couple of days at home right now, which is also amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, everyone needs to, you know, rest up uh, here and there, but you need to rest up uh, to then... Uh, carry on. So um, I'm really looking forward to hearing all about it. But what we're going to do is we're going to start somewhere towards the beginning, but where you want to start. So it is over to you. I think my story is a little bit less regular, maybe. So the easiest way to introduce myself is a motorcycle rider, racer and adventurer, and more recently, a four by four rally car driver. So my life is absolutely filled with exploring the world. I've ridden in 29 different countries now on motorcycles, racing, including doing some of the most extreme endurance races on the planet where quite frequently in these races, people don't come home. So I do some incredibly outrageous, insane, incredible stuff on motorcycles and in cars. And so a lot of people look at me doing that and think I've been riding motorbikes since I was tiny, since I was a little three year old, which when you look at the industry, most people have, you know, they started out on it. But my journey was uh, somewhat less smooth, maybe, and not quite as direct as that. And I actually only started riding motorcycles in my adult life as a result of one of those curveballs that life throws at you. And that was a pretty horrifically big life changing accident. Now, it's probably worth me jumping back in time a tiny bit from before the accident to give you a bit of an understanding of what life for Vanessa was like, because it gives you a bit of an idea of why that accident was quite so life changing. So the easiest way to describe me back then prior to 2014 was an adrenaline junkie. I was absolutely obsessed with sports, pushing myself physically and mentally. I was turbo fit. You know, I could do 13 pull-ups, three sets. I could jump on my bicycle and do 100 miles just for fun. I could kite surf, snowboard, rock climb, mountain bikes, kite surf, uh, snow kite. I was really, really, really fit and active and sporty. I'd cycle to work 16 miles every single day without any question of what the weather was doing, rain or shine. I gym in my lunch break three to four days a week, wait what after work. I was really, really fit. And my whole lifestyle, my relationship with my husband, my friendship circles was all around those sports and fitness. And then the accident happened. So it was a totally normal Tuesday. I'd been in the office all day. I was an account director in marketing and I got on my bicycle which is a really important part to note. It was a bicycle and I was not an active motorcycle rider at the time. 
and I was actually on the way to the lake to meet my husband uh, to go wakeboarding for the evening. He and I ran and operated a wakeboarding club in the Royal Air Force. I got about a mile down the road uh, out of central Oxford and the traffic light in front of me turned green, which was amazing. I pedaled on through and a car come the other way decided not to stop at their red light. And that was my life changed in a moment. I wasn't necessarily a bleeding wreck on the side of the road or scraped up by paramedics or anything dramatic, but I was taken to hospital in an ambulance. I was pretty shaken up. I'd just been hit by a car and I was discharged later that night with bruising. Now, if we fast forward seven years, which was the bulk of my recovery. I've since had seven surgeries, including a reconstructed right shoulder and right hip. So when you think about the repercussions of being told I had bruising versus what actually happened with the impact, it kind of gives you a bit of an idea of quite how much of a battle it's been trying to get my body fixed and repaired. And I've always had the expectation of trying get, to get back to a point where I'm pain free. That unfortunately is unrealistic for my home and my body. Uh, and instead, get to a point where I can adapt. I can learn to cope with the pain, manage my body, get rid of my own excuses and adapt to try and get up every day and try and make the most of every day. And during my recovery, which was really like a roller coaster of highs and lows because it was one surgery every year for seven years. So I'd be bed bound, learning to walk again, doing crazy amounts of rehab. That's the bottom of the roller coaster. And then I'd start to get a bit fitter, my rehab, be a little more able, coming up the top of the roller coaster. And there'd be complications. There'd be things that were missed, things that went wrong. The body is an incredibly complex thing. And unfortunately I'd need more surgery and boom, I'd be back down in the bottom of that roller coaster, dependent on my husband to help me go to the toilet, not able to put my own socks on, learning to walk again. And that was a very much an up and down over the seven years. Pretty brutal physical recovery. A lot of a lot of determination to do my rehabilitation, to get strength 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 going, get stronger, all that kind of stuff. But if I'm completely honest, the mental health recovery was far worse, despite two reconstructed body parts. And that's something that I'm very willing and open and want to talk about, because I think in society, mental health is still something that we don't talk about enough. And I definitely had some really dark, really low moments. I was diagnosed with multiple mental health disorders, including change disorder, fear of the road, depression. And it took me getting to a point where I realised that I wasn't okay and that I needed help. And I'm really proud of myself for recognising it, accepting it and for saying I need help and I got help. Unfortunately, it's not like a magic button where you ask for help and then suddenly everything's fine. It took a lot of pain processing, crying for me. And I wouldn't say I necessarily learnt to love my body, but I learnt to accept it. And accepting my situation was really key to me being able to actually do what I had in my control to try and move forwards and come through to the other side and come out the other side of, of the accident and let it not be a complete controller of my life as such. So that was quite a quick introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. It's fine. You know, I appreciated it. Yeah, this is quick as it can be. <laughs> Um, it's really interesting what you said about 
it, it wasn't just a physical recovery because that's what I say about mine uh, a lot of the time. So when I, I have, I think you're one of the first people that I've actually heard say it out loud is that, you knew it was a physical recovery, but mentally it was worse. Um, and it's definitely something that isn't spoken about a lot, mental health. Uh, you think it is, but it actually isn't. Um, especially the darkness and the depths of what someone's going through. Um, but I find also the fact that when you said that you were told it was just bruising and then you've had seven surgeries since, um, that unfortunately can happen um, in, in different ways for different people. It's just, again, I'm sure maybe that didn't necessarily help at the time as well. The fact that you were discharged with bruising and, you know, fast forward things kind of weren't so much as bruising. Yeah. So with regards to the mental health side of things, then do you want to kind of go into it a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I had night terrors mm -hmm. anywhere from three to five to six a night for probably the first four or five years. I, I still get them now. Um, so you, you almost are in a point where you don't want to go to sleep because you know you're going to wake up screaming and not necessarily awake. My husband's got really good at dealing with me when I get them. They're a lot less frequent now, uh, but they were pretty traumatic for many years after the accident. I change disorder was a really, really hard one to cope with and manifest differently in different people, I'm sure. But for me, I didn't see myself as me. Vanessa was a strong, fit, capable person from before the accident. You know, she could do sports, she was fit, she was able to do pull-ups and kite surf. And the broken, pathetic heap of a mess of a body that I was in wasn't me. I couldn't associate it. I actually got to a point where I talked about myself in the third person, totally disconnecting to my own being, which was really confusing for like new people that I met because they'd be like, wait, wait, what, what, who's Vanessa? <laughs> I thought you were Vanessa. Um, and it's very easy to joke about it now, but not accepting that you are even you is really hard. And then friends didn't necessarily know how to cope with me because they would be going, when's Vanessa coming back? When's my kite surfing buddy coming back? When? And it's like, you're just exasperating the fact that I can't do what I want to do anyway. It took me years to even have the strength to go to the wakeboarding lake because it hurt so much being around the sport, knowing that I couldn't do it. And thinking back about some of my really close friends, there's a lot of people who I've never even seen again since. You realise who your true friends are, the ones that will come sit next to a hospital bed. But one of my really good friends would frequently be like, when's Vanessa coming back? When's my kite something buddy coming back? And you're just like, it's an irreversible journey. I'm, I'm never going back to how I was before that accident. My body has changed irreversibly and my mind is completely as well. And actually, maybe five years post-accident, I realised that I wouldn't want to go back, even if I could stop the accident happening. And that was a really weird realisation because I've learned so much, even though the darkness, the pain and the ongoing pain I manage now, I've learned so much through that accident that in some maybe slightly sadistic way, I'm grateful for it. Like, Simple things like what's worth arguing about or getting upset over. Your your perspective completely shifts and changes once you've had to battle something that hard. Those little things that you had arguments with your husband about before, they don't even matter. Like, what are we even arguing about? We're not. Um, 
the the ability to have more gratitude appreciation for what you do have I remember once I'd started to ride a motorcycle at one of the higher points in the roller coaster. I remember sitting in a field with my husband. It was our first proper adventure on the bikes. And we went six miles from the house because that's what I could manage with my pain. And we sat there with a, a bottle of wine, a little barbecue and watched the sun go down. And for Vanessa, pre-accident, it would have been so lame, right? It would have just been the most r- ridiculously dull Friday night, like sat in a field with some courgette and steak. But for where I was in my mental health and my physical journey, it was the most uplifting thing you could ever imagine. Because I was out of the house, I wasn't stuck lying in the bed looking at that same annoying bit of paint on the bedroom ceiling. And the gratitude that that night awoke in me, where it's like, you know what, I want to go do my sports, I want to go kite surfing, I want to do all these things, but I can't. But actually, I still have something to be grateful for. I mean, just the fact that you're still alive. The fact that you can feel that, you know, you know, when you change your bed sheets and you've got new sheets, that feeling when your feet go in, like how good <laughs> is that feeling? Mm-hmm. And focusing on all of these little things helped give me more energy. Now, since that night in the field, I've had five more surgeries. And every time I was back in that hospital bed, that new sense of gratitude of, you know what, there's always something I can find to put a tiny little smile on my face or just be thankful for has given me so much strength and ability to to keep going. I think one of the key things I've learned with my mental health is actually that I'm in control of my mind, which if you'd spoken to me pre-accident would have just been like, what? No. I totally think that I used to think that how I felt and the emotions going on in me and the stuff in my mind was a result of what was going on around me. You know, I, I absorbed what was happening. You know, if a checkout girl was rude to you, you'd be rude back and you'd be grumpy and you'd, you'd respond to what was around you, you'd absorb it and you'd take it on. Whereas actually, we can control our thoughts, what we allow to be in our, our mind, what we allow to dwell on, to focus on, our conscious thoughts linked to our subconscious thoughts and directly linked to them is our emotions. And it's incredible how becoming more aware of our thought process can massively change our perspective and our our energy, our emotions, what we're getting upset over. I use this a lot with my pain when I get what I call a trigger thought and I'll focus on my hip and it will be like, my hip really hurts. Now that point, I've learned to catch it in my mind and go, whoa, Vanessa, stop. Because I've got two options. I can either continue to dwell on my hip pain, which is there a lot all of the time, I can continue to dwell on it and focus on it and feel sorry for myself and be angry at the driver and why can't they get rid of my pain? It's not fair, self-hate, self-pity. And you end up in the spiral and at the end of it, you're upset, you're crying. My husband probably gets upset because I'm upset, but I'm in the same body with the same pain. But now I'm upset. Whereas actually, when I first get that trigger thought, if I go, whoa, Vanessa, we know what this, we know, we know where we are right now. What can you do right now to change your situation? What's in your control? Do you need to stand up? Do you need to sit down? Do you need to do your physio? Do you need to take a painkiller? Is there anything you can do to help your pain right now? No? Okay, what can we do to distract you? What can we do to shift your mind to focus on something else? Do you want to put some music on? Do you need to call a friend? Do you do you need to just do something to take your mind off that pain and shift it? And then you're in the same body with the same pain, but you're not upset. You're doing something that's in your control to try and improve your situation. And that has been the biggest, most powerful learning I've had 
through through my recovery but it applies to so much like when you're out in the car and some insert swear word cuts you up and you, you get angry and annoyed right and your blood boils your adrenaline's going and you're just like but why am I taking on the emotion of their bad day you know what go if you're in that much of a rush go do your thing I hope your day gets better I'm just gonna breathe because I'm gonna be three seconds later now it's not a big deal and it's a complete just looking at a slightly different perspective and being more mindful of what you're allowing in your thoughts and not absorbing your environment. And that's helped me so much through my everyday management of pain, but also through the recovery of, of I don't know, being told you've got to have more surgery again. It felt like a punch in the face every time I had to go back under the knife. And um, it doesn't get easier every time you have a surgery. I think there was a, a some definite, some expectation management misalignment where I was like, yeah, I've had hip surgery before. I know what I'm doing. I, I'll be all over it. And then it's worse because you're cutting open scar tissue and your body's healing for the fourth, fifth time being cut open. And it certainly didn't get easier. And I think we often don't talk about being kind to ourselves and our own expectation management and the environments we put ourselves in can be a massive element on our ability to cope with situations. Now, I often get asked why I haven't gone back to kite surfing and wakeboarding and rock climbing and all of these sports because technically I can and I I have dabbled, but I I don't I haven't gone back to them like I used to. And that's for my mental health. Because I know my own expectation management will compare myself to how I used to be. And I am not how I used to be. I have pain, my body doesn't function in the same way and I know I won't be as good as I used to be and I know that for my personality and the way my brain works that will lead to emotional trauma and upset. So for me the motorbiking which is something that I discovered post my accident and got into is just a completely new thing. It's something fresh, it's new and it's I haven't got the comparison of how my body used to feel doing it which is just an incredible feeling. It's just like this new adventure and it's just the, the the process behind that was trying to look after my mental health. Is what you were talking about when you were saying that, because it relates to what you just mentioned as well, about when people were saying, you know, when's Vanessa coming back? And, you know, where's Vanessa? And, you know, where's my, you know, where's my Vanessa and my, my buddy and things like that. For you that, first of all, thinking of yourself and also being in the third person anyway and then you have other people saying it to you I mean I know I can imagine that's not going to help at all but yeah. I think the issue is as well is we do lose ourselves um we do, so when we hear someone asking where are you it's like well, I don't know where I am <laughs> so I can't tell you when I'm coming back because I don't know where I am but then again you come back but you don't come back because you do come back yes but you come back as someone different. So Vanessa comes back, you know, I came back, but you come back as someone quite different. Um, you like reinvent yourself. Yeah, 100%, you do, you reinvent yourself. So, and then again, which is when you were talking about the motorbiking, maybe that's, it's, it's you know, you've reinvented yourself. So it's, you know, a newer version of Vanessa reinvented with a brand new adventure, with a brand new sport um, because, the old you, you know, however you think about it. I do think of the old you and the new you. That's how I do it with me. Yeah. The old you 
is kind of left in the past with all those things. And yeah. then the new you comes in with this brand new adventure and this brand new zest for life. Yeah, I so, I so often people think that something happens in their life and they just try, they always, they try to go backwards and you've got to move forwards and adapt and shift. And if the journey that your life is taking on, taking you on with your injuries or your mental health or your, your job loss or your arguments, whatever that might be, if it's taking you on a different path, look forward for the opportunities to put smiles on your faces and do things that you enjoy. And don't just put yourself in a box of what life used to be like. You don't have to go back and try and fit in the same box. You can look into different areas and directions. And, you know, I was obsessed with kite surfing. I don't miss kite surfing now. But there was many, many months and years where I had deep trauma wanting to go back to it and realizing and shifting to the point where I actually realized, you know what, I can't, I'm not going to go back to it. And that's not an easy process. But if I hadn't accepted that and moved on, I could so easily just be sat around moping about, feeling sorry for myself, accepting that the paramedics and doctors and surgeons have told me that I'm not going to do all these things and you'll, you'll never run again and doing those things on a motorbike is a bad idea, blah, blah, blah. You've got to just own your life. You do. And you have to own it and you have to... You have to bear in mind that our minds are our worst enemies. Uh, like you were saying before, they really are. And I think a lot of us don't realize that until we are forced to realize that, um, especially that we think, our, we think our minds control us. We think that what's going on, we can't control. And you were right. The person at the checkout, the person that's hooting you in traffic, everything is controlling us, but actually it's not. We have the power to be in control of you like you said the person at checkout the person that you know runs a red light and whatever but it is a case of our minds are a lot more powerful than we think and yeah. a lot of us don't realize that we do have the power to control our thoughts and once we do control our thoughts and we do control what we're thinking about it helps with our emotions because then we learn how to control our emotions subconscious thoughts, conscious thoughts, emotions. It's incredible when whatever it might be a trigger for anybody, when something triggers you, you have two options. Yes. You either fall straight into the trigger and you go, you know, all the way through it. And it, however it consumes you, everyone's triggers manifest in different ways. It's consumed you. And that's it. Your emotions, your thoughts done, consumed, yeah. or you catch it. If you can try to catch it as quickly as possible, you're like, okay, right. Okay. We're here. We've got the trigger. How are we going to do this so I can get on with my day and not kind of go straight down that slope? Yeah, I love your line of your mind is like your worst enemy because it's also your best friend. Yeah. Because when you <laughs> learn to work with your mind correctly, it is mind blowing what you can do. And I, I often think like I'll wake up some mornings and I'll be I get a really bad mood or you're the old classic, you stub your toe getting out of bed and you got out of bed on the wrong side. Right. But if you just catch it and go, wow, I've got my grumpy pants on today, haven't I? <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do to change my grumpy pants? <laughs> Put my optimistic <laughs> pants on. <laughs> but literally by just being more conscious and aware of it, it's mad how easily you can start to like shift it and look at it. Mm -hmm. In a different way. 
Yeah, I like the I like the I've got my grumpy pants thing on because I think sometimes I do it if I, I don't know stub my toe or I bang my something and then I'm like ow and then I go oh wait a minute and I, I almost laugh at myself and I'm like ah I'm gonna be fine. <laughs> um, and then obviously I wanna I wanna know how you did get into you know motorcycles. What 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 was the moment when you thought okay I'm gonna give this a go now? Yeah, so. <laughs> It's a bit of a journey of stepping stones. It's not like I woke up one day and went, right, I want to go and do some of the most extreme multi-day desert races in Africa there are in the world. Like, this was a journey of progression. I, it's worth noting that I was diagnosed with fear of the road after the accident. So there was, it wasn't like a very logical step to get on a motorcycle. I know my mum wasn't pleased with the idea. I used to cycle to work every day and that was how I got to the office in central Oxford, busy town, nightmare for parking. If I wanted to be lazy and drive to work I had to get up earlier because it was that hard with traffic and parking and I was very much struggling with the parking cost, the the walk from where I parked the car, the cost of fuel and how early I had to get up in the morning to get to work because I couldn't cycle with my body. And I was at one of those points where I was slightly higher in the roller coaster, so I was a little bit more able not to cycle, but to sit on a motorbike. And I thought, why don't I get a motorbike? I was actually having a gin and tonic with my husband and a friend on a Friday night, and I think they were talking about something really boring, because I completely left the conversation. They dreamed off about this idea. And thankfully, my husband is also really supportive, so when I came back into the conversation really rudely and abruptly, and I was like, can I get a motorbike? And he was like okay uh so we found one you know I, I believe in fate the stars just align sometimes there was a there was a bike perfect sort of price perfect condition a little old suzuki band at 600 in my town it wasn't even like the next door town it was like four minutes from my house so i went to see it the next day bought it then i had to go and buy some motorbike kit and then it was a case of having to ride the thing and i can't under emphasize no i can't over emphasize whichever way around it is how hard it was to get on that motorcycle. Like all of my inner survival, natural instincts of protection of myself knew it was a really bad idea. And I'd say the first fifth, 200th time, and even now, nine years on, I still get moments where I'm on a motorbike where a vehicle moves from that certain direction and it will just take me straight back. I had breakdowns in my helmet, crying and I don't know if you've ever cried in a motorcycle helmet it's incredibly awkward because you've got helmet on and you've got big gloves and a visor and you can't really wipe your eyes and then once you get water in the visor it steams up and then you can't see and it's all a mess and I joke about it uh, but it was it was definitely not easy getting on that bike and I kind of had a a massive amount of determination because the woman had hit me and taken a lot away from me already I couldn't let her control my future I think the fact that I rode horses as a kid was really helpful because you all I think the sole purpose of ponies like the reason they were put on this earth is to put their rider on the ground so I fell off ponies quite a lot as a kid and my mum would always you know check I was okay get back on the horse I fell off a bike you got to get back on the bike. Uh, so I think that helped a lot. Mindfulness was huge. I remember having a complete breakdown on the bike, freaking out that I'm going to die. This is ridiculous. Properly working myself up. And I kind of clicked into mindfulness of like, right, Vanessa, what is your situation right now? And it's like, you're not going to die. You're still on your driveway. Like, you're, you're fine. I worked myself into it maybe 
a little bit more gently as well. I didn't just go straight into the centre of Oxford. I went on quiet roads and built my confidence up. Uh, riding with my husband with intercoms on, we had cardio intercoms, that really helped. And it was just something where I knew that every time I got on that bike and I pushed my fear and my comfort, every time it would become a little bit easier, a little bit easier. I just had to keep putting myself out there on the road, on the bike, trying to relearn the highway, not relearn, we trust the highway code. And I knew that eventually in time, it would become less terrifying. And it did. What people didn't warn me about getting a motorbike is that they breed. So N plus one is how many bikes you're allowed. N is how many bikes you currently have, plus one equals. So I now have nine. <laughs> but they're all different and they all do different things. So it started with a commuter bike. So honestly, it was a very practical thing that I required. And then my husband and I had actually ridden Harley Davidson's on our honeymoon in Texas. And it's worth noting, I already I had my full license. I was kind of one of those people that liked collecting licenses. Like I did my towing license and my advance pass and I got my motorbike one just because why not? So I had my license already. And then my husband, who's an engineer in the Royal Air Force, was away in Afghanistan for our wedding anniversary. So when he came home, I organised for two Harleys for an afternoon, just as a something nice to do for our anniversary. Again, I was at a higher point on the roller coaster. Zero intention to buy. This is a very important part. This was not, <laughs> this was like, we weren't planning to buy Harley Davidson's. But by the end of the day, I needed that bike in my life. And the purchase of those two Harley Davidson's, particularly my one thug, who I still have, was the best decision in my whole mental health recovery from the accident. Because at a point in life where I didn't really see the point of much, like once I was back at work, why would I take time off work for holiday? Like, what would I do that's fun? I'm not a spa break or a city tour kind of person. All of my holidays are around sports and active stuff. And this Harley Davidson made me realise while basically sat on something that's like a sofa with an engine, it's unbelievably comfortable. With a small modification, I improved the hip position, um, which to this day is less painful on a motorbike than in a car for my hip. And we started going off adventuring on the motorbikes. We did about 25,000 miles over the following three years. We rode in about 15 countries in Europe, like all the way down to Croatia and around uh, all over Europe. And it became our new adventure adrenaline endorphins and it was absolutely like life-changing for my mental health it gave me that adrenaline even though I didn't need to be physically fit to get it which was just huge for me and then I suppose since I got that bike I had another four hip surgeries mm -hmm. and I was my third so my first hip surgery third surgery I was bed bound at home a couple of days after the surgery and I decided to come up with this random idea again my husband's incredibly supportive I was just like can I get a dirt bike and he's like what look at you you can't even go to the toilet on your own and I'm like I know but can I get a dirt bike so we went out and got me this dirt bike and uh, it was five months until I could even sit on it but it was there as a goal as a reminder as something that I was working towards and eventually I was able to ride that bike not for very long because unfortunately I've then had four more surgeries since ups and downs in the roller coaster but I quickly realized that off-road motorcycle riding was gonna be my new addiction my obsession which is massively uh, true today 
and I was a terrible rider. I thought I could ride well on the road, but when I then went off-road for the first time, you realise that it is not like riding on the road and you're like Bambi and it's slippery and you, you fall off and it's absolutely incredible fun. So I kind of went on a mission to try and improve my skills, suck up any knowledge, any tips I could from anybody, try and ride on as many different bikes as I could in as many different terrains as I could and just build more experience on motorcycles. And then I ended up trying my first race and I did my first big race three years ago. And I've since now done 10 multi-day international races. And yeah, I've finally reached a point where I'm not just surviving the desert races and I'm racing them. So I had uh, the Tunisia desert challenge last year, for example, I ended up having a night in the dunes of a campfire which isn't romantic, it's terrifying. The boogeyman or sandman is real. And I ended up getting rescued after seven and a half hours in the pitch black in the sand dunes with my little fire that I made. And then I got two and a half hours sleep back out onto the racetrack again, or not the racetrack, into the desert again. Four and a half hours into that day, I ended up having another mechanical on my bike and being stuck in the dunes again. And Seven hours later, my body went into shutdown from the 46 degree heat and I ended up needing to be heading back out and it was incredibly close. Uh, I kind of skimmed over that story quite dramatically, but I, uh, I'm i still here, let's just say that, but it was it was a close call. These These races are very intense and someone didn't come home from that race. I kept fighting on and I made it to the finish line and became the first female to ever enter and the first female to ever finish the Tunisia Desert Challenge, which I'm very proud of. But the most recent one I did, the Morocco Desert Challenge, which is an eight-day moving bivouac, thousands of kilometres. I mean, you're looking at between 300 and 475 kilometres a day off-road, following a piece of paper on your handlebar that scrolls with compass bearings, symbols and French abbreviations. So it's really hard navigation through brutal terrain. This one was in Morocco. But I came 25th overall and 40% of the motorcycles didn't finish. So I was really, really proud of that. So the, the focus on my... My skills, my fitness, my ability to cope with my pain, etc., is is massively paying off. And I'm doing one of the biggest races there is in January, which is already causing me nightmares, but it's going to be okay. What's the race in January? The Africa Eco Race. So it's the original Dakar route, six and a half thousand kilometers across 14 days. I anticipate to be burning between four and eight, no, sorry, between six and 8,000 calories a day. And it's by far going to be the hardest thing I've done. Doing that kind of length, time in the saddle every day for 14 days. I do get people go, well, you've got an engine. How hard can it be? The engine, yeah, you're still keeping a, a machine that doesn't even stand up on its own upright um have you ever tried walking in deep sand yeah have you tried running in deep sand uh i think so probably bit more difficult have you tried riding a bicycle in deep sand no i haven't and then think about a motorbike that's nearly two and a half times your body weight that just wants to lie down and be a dead elephant in deep sand and through dunes or through rocky riverbeds or all the different terrain you get across morocco it's probably one of the most physically grueling and mentally engaging sports there is because the navigation is so tricky as well 
Do you love it though? Yeah, and hate it. Like in the actual race, you get a lot of moments where you're like, what am I doing? This is the hardest, most brutal thing. I've. Why am I here? Like there was a day in Tunisia where I hit rock, rock, rock bottom five times. This day, 32 vehicles had to be rescued in the race. It was a really horrific 85 kilometres of dunes that day, and it's very, very soft sand. So incredibly difficult terrain to get through. And I remember being on my hands and knees, panting, trying to dig my bike out of a pile of sand and chaos and just being like, I'm done. I was in tears and I was in hysterics. Like, I, I can't even move. My my bike can stay that I'm out, I'm, I'll wait and get rescued. And I'd sit there, I'd eat some food, have some water. And after a little while, I'd be like, you know what? I've got to keep going. I've got to pick myself back up, I found a bit more energy and fight on. And I hit that kind of lower than low I've ever hit in my life five times in a single day. There was a period of about three and a half hours where I could not get my heart rate to go below 150. No matter how much I sat and chilled, I it just I was at such a peak extreme um, stress kind of level with the intensity of it. But I finished, and that high is worth every bit of the low. But the biggest thing that I got out of doing the Tunisia Desert Challenge was life changing. Is that I realised for the first time since my accident. The hardest thing I've ever done was in my control and I'd chosen it. And up until that point, the hardest thing I'd ever gone through was recovering from being hit by a car. And it was so empowering and invigorating. It was like almost like I'd taken back control. Um, there's, there's a massive element of determination to try and prove to myself that I still can. If you think about the fact that the Vanessa kind of got wiped out and she was strong and fit and capable and there's a new version of Vanessa which in many ways I think is stronger and more capable now because I've got way more strength up in my mind than I ever had before. Got some limitations in my body but I've adapted um, and you know I work around those but I've lost my train of thought I just suddenly went into the my mind of like the former Vanessa. Sorry sometimes I get I get caught in it. It's okay. Sorry. D don't apologise. Don't apologise. It's absolutely fine. We'll do it. <laughs> Believe yeah. me, we'll do it. We'll talk uh -huh. and then suddenly, yeah, we, we can go back really quickly. Don't worry. We'll do yeah. it. It happens. New Vanessa is strong. <laughs> She's <laughs> crying. Hey, 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 I saw something recently um, which said about crying, which said sometimes when we cry, it's because we've been so strong for so long. Crying just lets it out. Yeah. Crying just lets things out. Uh, sometimes we just need to let it out. Thank you. Of course. But what, something that you were talking about when you said the person that hit you, uh, this is going back a little bit when you were talking at the beginning. The person that you hit you has had control so much of your life that you weren't going to let them control you anymore. And I think that's something which is, I think I was mentioning it before about when you control your mind, you know, someone runs a red light, 
don't let them control what's going on physically, mentally. It, it is, it's, it's not letting, okay. They, they'll, they'll take control for however long, whether it's seconds, hours, years, whatever, however the consequences are. But when you said that you weren't going to let that person control you anymore, that's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a, a you know, a light bulb moment in a way to be like, okay. I am in control and I'm going to do this now. This person has done what they've done. This has happened, but I'm going to move forward and I'm going to push on. Yeah, it, it took a, lo- a lot of strength mm-hmm. to to fight on. I think there's been a lot of moments where it would have been a lot easier just to accept a more sedatory Netflix focused lifestyle and, you know, adapt and accept that sports and the things that I really set my soul on fire aren't in my future it would have been a lot easier definitely to to take that route but I think I didn't want to give up my one life the accident happened I couldn't go back in time I couldn't change it but I did have control of what my future was going to look like and by putting in really hard work on my rehab and being determined to put every bit of fight in there if I got to a point where you know what I still can't do these things at least I would have tried I wouldn't have just given up I had a lot of anger resentment upset not fair kind of self-pity energy with regards to the accident and the anger against the driver I often talk about your mindset and being in a denial mindset where your life is a result of what's going on around you. We've kind of talked about this quite a lot already, but very much a case of the anger against the driver, etc., was an emotion that changed nothing in my situation other than make it worse. That anger, resentment, bitterness is physical. You feel it. Like when you think about those emotions, they tie a knot inside your chest almost. And they do nothing for you but a negative mental and physical, because you can feel it, emotion. Whereas actually just releasing it, which doesn't happen overnight, you have to, to work on it. But there's no point being angry. All it does is worsen your own situation over something that was an accident. And, and so I had to I had to release it and find a way to maybe not forgive but the acceptance was so important to that being feasible I just had to accept the situation because I couldn't go back in time and I couldn't change it but what was in my control was my mindset from this moment on that's what I had to focus on what I could do what was in my control I often meet people who are like, oh, yeah, I've got this awful back pain. Oh, it's stopping me doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm really sorry to hear that. What sort of physio have you got to do? Like, what's what's your rehab? And they're like, oh, well, yeah, I haven't done it. I, you know, and I'm like, and I'm done with the conversation. If you've not done your physio, I'm not giving you any sympathy. You have stuff in your control that will help you. Go and do it. And that's what you said before is that, the one, you know, the one thing that you could control was your recovery and, and, you know, becoming who you have become today. And that obviously is a roller coaster. It's full of so many ups and downs, so many of having to let go is accepting things that you maybe don't want to, and you definitely don't want to let go of, but you are in control of it. Um, and I think your journey as a whole with your recovery, with, you know, the physical side of things, the mental side of things, and, and just 
discovering motorbikes and where you are doing it now is proof of step by step by step by step. And every small step just takes you to the next step, obviously, but it takes you to the, to the, the journey. It takes you through every day. And what happens is, is we think every single day that we're getting nowhere. We think we're getting absolutely nowhere. But when we look back, sometimes it's a week for some people, a month, a year, five years. When we look back and we actually realize every single day we thought we weren't getting anywhere, we were actually getting somewhere. We just didn't know it at the time. We were getting closer to healing or to our dreams, to happiness. We were getting closer every single day. Um, and even in general, it's, it's, you know, you, you don't know the next page of the book. You think, you know, you think, you know, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow. You think, you know, the chapter, you think, you know, how it's going to end, but you don't, you don't. And, you know, you, you one day during a conversation thought, I want to get a motorbike and look where it's got you, you know, now one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, that's another page to another chapter. And I think that's what's, it's hard because we don't know you know, the unknown is terrifying, but it's also extremely exciting because we don't actually know what's mm. going to happen tomorrow. Um, yeah. And it can be extremely exciting things. I think it's just really important to be open to new, different, just open to whatever is in front of you. Because so it's that old cliche of a door closing. And sometimes it, you could just feel like you're in a room with 10 other doors that are all shut in your face. But sometimes and so often the things that you think are the worst thing that could possibly happen end up being the best thing like my accident somehow it's the worst and probably the best thing that's ever happened in my life for where I am today as a result of it and I think about when we were like moving house and we fell in love with this house that was just perfect and the sale fell through and we lost it and then we ended up getting the house we live in now and my goodness the one that we cried over was nothing on the one we ended up on but at the time you're so engrossed and fixated on the thing that you're in that you don't often think you know what I've just got to trust that that wasn't meant to be something else is ahead and just have this positive receptive open outlook and it's incredible what can appear and manifest and evolve it is it's a case of you know, we can bang on doors to open, we can bang, 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 and we can try every single key. But if that door doesn't open, and we sit there and we cry, we scream, we well, whatever emotion we do, because that door isn't opening. But then if we just learn to go, okay, it's not opening. If, if that means we do have to cry about it for, you know, weeks and months, that's fine. You know, everybody yeah. does, you know, express things very differently. But once we learn to accept, okay, that door is not opening. Okay, that means another one and an even better one is going to open. Yep. You've got to trust. Mm -hmm. I'm so, not working. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you have goals and you want to make them happen, you've got to put the work in. That's also too. You're right. You know, you are right. And again, <laughs> even with physio, like you were saying, I before my accident, whenever I had to go to physio for whatever it was, I used to just do physio at physio, you know, maybe do it once or twice in the gym. But I was like, hey, I never took physio seriously. I had my accident and boy, did I take physio seriously to the point where when I look back now, I know that taking my physio seriously and doing my workouts in the gym because I knew I had to 
has sped up my recovery physically and made me yeah. stronger quicker um, and maybe not even quicker just stronger um, and so when I hear people that have you know have to do physio and they kind of nah, they dismiss it I'm like no 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 do it <laughs> you have to do it you have to do it <laughs> oh my goodness I totally agree with you yeah but even there's moments now where I look back at periods of my life during those seven years where I was having crazy rehab like there was a period of about three months after one of my head surgeon surgeries where I was having rehab on Harley Street in London two and a half hours three days a week on top of a full-time job and a two-hour each way commute to London and I look back and I go I don't know how I did it but how did I find the energy to do two and a half hours, four hours a day of commuting, nine hours in an office, and two and a half hours of physio? But it's what I had to do. So you do it. If you want to improve and you want to come out the other side, you have to put the work in. You made no excuses. I mean, we all love an excuse. We all, you know, have plenty of them stored, ready to go. But... Yeah. Once you face your excuses, yeah, pretty cool things can happen if you just kind of go, oh, look, there's an excuse. Goodbye. <laughs> well, there was, after all of my hip surgeries, I used a complex, uh, not complex, um, compression icing machine on my, on my hip, which I had to wear for 30 minutes, seven times a day. And it compresses and ices. So it does a really deep ice for chronic inflammation. I do that seven times a day. And I was also going to the swimming pool to walk for 20 minutes a day, knowing you know, if I walk in the pool, eventually I'll be able to walk outside the pool. So I'd do my icing. I'd be freezing cold, like pink, like a little lobster. No, lobsters are hot, right? Like a little, what's cold? Pink, red thing. And then I'd have to go to the swimming pool. And I was freezing. And all of my excuses were like, well, I can't go to the pool. It's too cold. It would be unhealthy. And I went, well, how do I get around my own excuses? So I went in my wetsuit. I looked like an absolute lunatic. I was walking up and down in the swimming pool at the same time every morning in a wetsuit, got so many crazy looks. But what does it matter? I was doing what I needed to do for my recovery, right? And I was getting rid of my own excuses. Was too cold? What's not too cold in a wetsuit? <laughs> I like that. It's a, that, that can be a quote for something. It's too cold, uh, not too cold in a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> I might, I might, I might, I might think about that next time I think of an excuse for myself and I'd be like, ah, but you know, not too cold in a wetsuit. <laughs> <laughs> might work for open water swimming. <laughs> yeah, maybe if I give that a go one day. <laughs> so I want to then just ask you if you had, um, well, what is advice that you would give to somebody that they're at the stage where they're at those closed doors um, and they're at those closed doors and they just don't see them opening at all. And they have excuses. They have many different reasons why they can't, don't think they can move forward in any way. I know it's quite a broad question, but what is, what is something that you would say? There's probably a couple of parts to this. The first one, is to really emphasize the fact that they need to believe in themselves. I would stand there and look them in the eyes and tell them that I believe in them. They are a human like every single ever one of us. Every single person on this planet, whether they're an astronaut or a president or a football player, 
every single one of us is the same. We are just humans. The difference between us is how big and what goals we set, how much work we're, manage, man, we're, we're determined or willing to put in to make something happen. How badly do we want it? Are we willing to fight for it? You know, we are all the same thing. Yes, we get different situations. I got hit by a car and I could have let it wipe my life out, right? It could have been the end of my life and energy, but I was determined that it wouldn't be. And our cards are dealt and they're not always dealt fairly or evenly, but we do still have the ability to pick ourselves back up, learn from them, adapt, shift. And it's insane what just believing in yourself can do. Then I would say realising that falling down is okay. We all have struggles and battles, particularly with someone who does a lot on social media. I think social media can be quite toxic. I think society makes us believe that life is perfect and easy and you go online and everyone looks glamorous and beautiful and holiday and wealthy and you're like, why can't my house like life like live like that? You know, what's what am I doing so wrong? Well, most people don't share their whole life on social media. They're sharing the little 10% shiny bit at the top. Everybody has battles and struggles and challenges. And I think the weird thing about that, an easy way to make you realise it, is that you very rarely are jealous of someone you know. Because someone you know well, you'll know that, right, you're really jealous of that bit, but they've got all of this too. <laughs> you know, you see the full picture, but very often you'll be jealous of someone because you don't know what their full life is like. And realising that everybody has battles and struggles and challenges is actually really energising in making you realise that that's okay. Falling down, having things go wrong is totally normal. But you can get back up and, and move on from it. So the, the big step there is setting goals. Doesn't matter how big or how small that goal is, but it's got to be something that's going to make you move, get you excited, want something that you want to make come true and it could be as simple as getting out of your house and going to the park and sitting on a bench if that is something that is going to uplift and change your life then set that as your goal or if you want to go and do an extreme desert rally or learn to ride your first off-road motorcycle they can be big terrifying things i didn't know if i'd ever be able to ride that bike but if i didn't try i'd never have found out and at least trying, I'd have got further than I would have done if I'd never set that goal in the first place. So I'd really encourage people to set goals and make it happen. Put work in every single day. Work out what you can do today, tomorrow, this week, this month to help you move towards those goals. And don't feel sorry for yourself if you're not doing what's in your control. Nicely put. Yeah, I like that a lot. Thank you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share today? I don't think so. I really appreciate you having the time to chat with me. And I'm sorry I had a little bit of an upset in the middle. I, it's amazing how the mind can, yeah. I often, yeah, I guess I often talk about all this mindfulness and strength and doing all these crazy races and the realization or the reality is that I'm just a human like everybody else. I'm not strong all the time. I still have my own mental health battles and wobbles and uh, I'm just a little human as well. So uh, sorry, I got a bit upset in the middle. Yeah. Okay, please don't apologize. <laughs> don't apologize at all. We, like I said, we all do it. 
Um, we all do it. And I was going to say, you are just a human. You literally just said it in your own words. Astronaut, footballer, president, you are a human too. And nobody can be strong. Nobody can be strong every single hour of every single day, every single year. Um, and that's okay. That's okay. So before we do finish, apart from January, what else have you got? You know, have you got anything else in the pipeline exciting coming up? Uh, I fly to Romania tomorrow to ride Harley Davidson's around some of the best roads in Romania with Tour One. I've got a trip to Iceland with ride with locals on off-road bikes. I've got a couple more rallies this year in the UK rally series with the Bowler Defender. So I'm the works driver for one of their rally cars. Um, I've got lots of schools. I do free school talks to any school that will have me in the UK. So if anyone has a connection to schools and they like some energy for, for the students, get in touch via my email or my website. Uh, I do do corporate speaking, etc., as well, but I love doing it with the little kids. Uh, the corporate ones help me fund being able to be free for the schools, which is, which is nice. So yeah, I've got a lot going on and somewhere in all of that time, I need to try and get even fitter because January is going to be really really tough really tough so trying to get fitter as well yeah. how do you train for something like january well fit as, as much time on a motorcycle as possible because there isn't anything quite like the physical requirements of being on a motorcycle so come october to december i'll try and get out on my enduro bike locally as much as i can i do a lot of e-mountain biking the e-mountain bike enables me to do it at my hip, just takes the load off my joint. Um, and then I've got a massive tractor tire in the garden that I do flipping on, pull-ups, a lot of push-ups, core strengths, and eating well is really important as well. Good nutrition, because you are what you eat. So that, yeah, all wraps together. And then if I'm in, like, like a couple of days ago, I was in Spain in 38 degrees heat, and I thought, well, this is a good temperature to go for a run. It's not, but being able to train in the heat to be used to being in the desert is always beneficial as well. So it's kind of varied, but the nutrition is really important as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of exciting things to come up. I'm looking forward to uh, tracking it all and following it. Thank you. Yeah, because if anyone wants to see any of the, the behind the scenes and shenanigans with me, they can find me on basically all of social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. And LinkedIn as the as Vanessa Ruck or the girl on a bike and the Tunisia Desert Challenge I mentioned earlier with the campfire and the heli rescue there is a full series of that on my YouTube it's it's pretty brutal viewing uh, be warned I know my mum was in tears but it's got a good finish. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well that's 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 it, isn't it? You know the journey you've got to go through the journey, but go for the finish. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. It's been a huge honour. And there we have it. Vanessa's journey serves as a reminder that at the end of the day, she's just as human as all of us, highlighting the incredible strength within each of us. Some of the most challenging moments in her life were within her control. So this week, think about some of your most challenging moments. Were they in your control too? Sometimes moments are taken out of our hands, but we can control what we do next. Stay tuned for more incredible stories and thank you for joining us. You have the power to take control of your own narrative and create your own adventures. So stay inspired, keep reaching for your dreams and until next time, remember that you have the power to get back up.